Right, as we come now to the ministry of the Word, can I invite you to turn with me to our first reading for this evening. <coughs> and the first passage that we're going to look into is in the book of Acts, chapter 2, reading from verse 1 to verse 4. Acts, chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 4. Now, the Word of the Lord says that when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I can invite you now to stand as we receive the gospel reading for this evening. <clears throat> the gospel reading is taken from the 20th chapter according to the gospel of St. John, beginning at the 19th verse. Glory to Christ our Savior. John's gospel, chapter 20, reading from verses 19 to verse 22. John writes, that on the evening of that day, the first week of the, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? So, Father, this evening as we come to you, as we look into these two passages afresh, we pray, Lord, that you would Teach us what it means to be a spirit-filled church. We ask of you this evening that as you breathe out your truth, we'll be able to breathe in all that you want to speak to us as we continue to grow to be a church that is filled with your spirit. So be in our midst as we commit this day, <coughs> this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, will you please be seated? Stuck between Easter and Pentecost. Now, have you ever come across this particular phrase? Well, if not, what then does this sentence actually mean? Stuck between Easter and Pentecost. Well, you find that this is a phrase that is actually describes the spiritual condition of many Christians today. And perhaps it is a condition that describes even for some of us here this evening. And to really comprehend this phrase better, you know, it's essential that we need to break down these two significant events in history. Because you find that Easter, as we know, is the time where Jesus resurrected from the grave. Easter is the time that we know that our Lord died. But despite his death, he defeated death by rising again. 
And then we know that before he ascended back to heaven, Jesus appeared to his disciples, giving them this instruction to wait for the Holy Spirit to descend upon them so as to be anointed with this great power to fulfill his commission. And Pentecost is that wonderful day. Now know for sure that without Pentecost, there will be no coming of this power of God. Without Pentecost, Calvary would have failed its purpose in redeeming a lost world. You see, the great facts of redemption is based on our Lord's virgin birth, His virtuous life, His death, and even His victorious resurrection. And yet, let it be known that nothing happened until the arrival of this great event. It is only after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit did redemption of the world swing into motion. And as we look into this great event of Pentecost, I want you to note a few significant facts. One, you'll find that the exact timing of the Spirit's descent has been mentioned centuries early in the, in the Old Testament, and especially in Leviticus 23 where we are told here in this passage that the Feast of Pentecost was to be celebrated 50 days after the Feast of the Passover. And when you fast forward to the New Testament, to the passage that I read to you in Acts chapter 2, you find that this was exactly what happened in verse 1. Scriptures record for us that the Holy Spirit descended only when the day of Pentecost arrive 50 days after the feast of the Passover. So you see, no amount of praying, no amount of pleading would have quickened the arrival of the Holy Spirit to any other day. The day of Pentecost was fulfilled in that sense. Two, you must also be noted that this day of Pentecost, we begin to see the sovereign act of God. This sovereign, and this sovereign act of God coincides with a deep humbling and a self-abasement on the disciples' part. You see, the Spirit would not have been real, the Spirit would not be present if there had been no prior preparation on the self-emptying of the disciples' heart. Jesus instructed for, to them <coughs> was to go to Jerusalem and to wait for the Holy Spirit. If the disciples didn't obey this command, or if the disciples, you know, tida apa, they didn't take it seriously, they didn't take the time to pray, didn't take the time to prepare themselves, the Holy Spirit would not have come. The 10 days of waiting and praying in the sense produced this craving for the fulfillment of the Father's promise of the Spirit. Because we see in Acts chapter 2 verse 2, we are told that suddenly, and this word suddenly tells us that out of the blue, you know, as they were praying, as they were preparing for themselves, suddenly from heaven, we are told, filled the entire place where they were sitting. And three, Notice further the extent of the Spirit's power. It was so staggering as revealed in the early church. Whereas verse 2 signifies this corporate experience that the whole house was filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 3, on the other hand, 
signifies, symbolizes the, the individual's encounter with this Spirit. Because we are told in verse 3, that not only the Holy Spirit came, but we are told that divided tongues as of fire appeared to each and every one of them. So in other words, if we were all the disciples praying in a room like this, <coughs> and we were humbling, waiting for the Holy Spirit's power to come, and when the day of Pentecost came, each and every one of us seated here will have tongues of fire upon our heads. We will all receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And verse 4 immediately tells us that they were filled. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So you see this outpouring of the Holy Spirit enabled the many men and women present to speak in a language other than their own. Moreover, as the risen Christ became vividly real to them, because of the Holy Spirit's power, they began to receive more insight. And you find that Peter, the early church leader, began to preach with such great authority and deep conviction. No longer were they afraid, but they were fearless in their witness to the crowds. This was what happened at Pentecost. And so the important question remained for us is this. Is it possible for you and I to stay rooted in between these two time zones? Is it possible that we have not progressed beyond Pentecost and still remain stuck at Easter? You see, though today disciples of Jesus all over the world, and you and I, we rejoice in the fact that Christ is risen from the dead, there are some, I'm afraid, have somehow, we have not experienced or we have not embraced this promised power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And if we are, if we have fallen into that category, perhaps this is why we are remain stuck between Easter and Pentecost. But why, you may ask, this vast discrepancy between the spiritual power welded by the early church and that lacking by most of the churches here today at our time. After all, haven't some of us here, the older generation, haven't we gone through the charismatic movement of the late 70s and the early 80s? Haven't we experienced this Holy Spirit? Furthermore, we know that Scriptures makes it very clear that though the day of Pentecost was a one-time event that happened to the apostles, nevertheless, Scriptures does tell us that this unction, this Holy Spirit is still available. This power is still there for us even today. So therefore, the reality is we need not be stuck between these two timelines of Easter and Pentecost. And if that is so, how then do we get unstuck? How then do we get unstuck and move beyond Pentecost? 
This is where I want us to turn to the gospel passage that I read in John chapter 20. <clears throat> because in this gospel passage, will shed some light into this very question of how we can be personally participate in this blessing and benefit of the Spirit's ministry. So you have your Bibles. Turn with me again to John chapter 20, verse 19 to 22. <clears throat> and I want to draw your attention particularly to the last verse in which it is said that He, referring to Jesus, He breathed on them. And in particular, I want you to focus on this word, breathe. Now, in order to understand the significance of Jesus' symbolic act of breathing into the disciples, we must note that the word breathe is derived from the Latin spiritus, which happens to mean breath. And then, interestingly enough, the Greek for spirit, pneuma, as well as the Hebrew ruach, also mean wind or breath. And as we know, breathing involves this process of inhaling. We breathe in and exhaling, breathing out. Thus, you'll find that this is really an illustration which is very consistent throughout Scriptures as to how we can receive the Spirit of God. And we see this as early as Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where we read that the breath of God produced order out of chaos. God breathed and there was order. Another passage tells us that for men, again in the creation story, for men to come into existence to be a living soul, what did God do? Genesis 2, 7 tells us that God had to breathe into his nostril, and so the first man received life. And then I'm sure we have this passage in Ezekiel 37, verse 9, which I believe many of us are familiar. <laughs> Here we find that Ezekiel witnessed lifeless corpse becoming a living army when the breath of God fell upon them. And so with this in mind, let us return back to that gospel passage and consider this symbolic act of Christ breathing into His disciples. And as we look again at this passage, observe here in this passage the twice-repeated bestowal of peace in verses 19 and 21. And after Jesus gave them the peace, we find that next in, he, there was the mandate of the Great Commission. He tells the disciples after giving them the peace, he says, as the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus was sending the disciples out. And then no sooner after saying that, I'm going to send you out, what did Jesus do? We are told that Jesus imparted the Spirit. And without the Spirit's aid, the disciples would be powerless to execute this mission that was commissioned to them. So you see, in a sense, you could say that this was a kind of a miniature anticipation of the full-scale empowering of the Holy Spirit that was going to happen at Pentecost. They had a dry run. But here, we find it is the Lord telling the disciples that for you to take in the Holy Spirit, for you to receive the power which will enable you to fulfill the commission that I'm giving to you, all that you need to do is to do what? 
to breathe in. It's to breathe in. As God breathed out His power, His Holy Spirit, you just breathe in. It is as simple as that. And that is why you find that on the day of Pentecost, that as God breathed out, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. As God breathed out, the disciples breathed in and so were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. So the conclusion really for us is this. It is this out-breathing and in-breathing that illustrates the method for you and I to receive this power that God has for you and I. And so now we can receive this power. I want us to now consider what does it make, what are the characteristics that make up a Spirit-filled church? What can we expect when God's power come upon us, when you and I will receive this Holy Spirit? What will the church be like? And really to do so, we need to compare the difference in the life of the disciples before and after Pentecost. And in truth, there are too many differences for us to note. And due to time constraint, allow me to just propose two characteristics. And again, we need to go back to the Acts passage. You find that when the Holy Spirit comes upon any church, when the church is Spirit-filled, one of the characteristics that we will find is that there will be joy. Joy will replace fear. A church that is Spirit-filled will have joyful members. Why? Because one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. So if we are a Spirit-filled church, there will be joy. You see, before Pentecost, the disciples were cast as fearful people. They were always bickering. They were always fighting with each other. The moment they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were joyfully proclaiming the good news to everyone and everywhere. The Boravans were another excellent example of people who experienced the Spirit's joy in their lives. History tells us how the Holy Spirit came upon them one October morning in the year 1727 while they were having Holy Communion. And we are having Holy Communion today. It was said that they went out after, after the service, you know, they went out of this place full of joy. And it was recorded that they didn't even know whether they had died or they had gone to heaven. They were just so filled with joy. History books even tell us that this Moravian's joy lasted for more than 100 years. So, church, here's the thing. When the Holy Spirit resides in our lives, ultimately, the church will be a much more pleasant place to be. Why? Because the environment will be different. The atmosphere will change. There will be joy. No more will there be complaining or grumbling. And when the church is filled with this joy of the Holy Spirit, it will distinguish us as children of God from that of the world. Another key characteristic of, the, of a Spirit-filled congregation 
as we look again into the church, early church in the book of Acts, we'll find that when the church was filled with the Spirit, what we can see was the influence that they had on those around them. You see, before Pentecost, nobody listened to them. Who were the disciples? They were just plain, ordinary, illiterate fishermen. But after Pentecost, after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, after Peter's first maiden sermon, amazingly, we are told that 3,000 souls responded in repentance. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we need to ask ourselves, is the church, is the Christian church, is our church today making an impact to the community such that people's lives are changed? Will our neighborhood or our nation be a better place because you and I are witnessing Christians because we are filled with the Spirit? You see, part of this dynamic impact towards society is influencing wrong teaching and sinful lifestyle. A Spirit-filled church is able to change all the negative atmosphere to one that is positive. To change one living in sin to one living in godliness. Wow, don't we want that sort of a church? And you find that whenever there's more influence towards godliness, there will be less sin, there will be less crime. So therefore, there's no reason why you and I, we shouldn't be desiring to be people of the Spirit, wanting to have clean lives in our businesses, in our workplace, such that those outside the walls of the church would see us and be amazed just as the people were amazed at these early disciples. That's the powerful impact. That's the influence of a Spirit-led church. But you know, having said all this, there are some, unfortunately, and I hope we all don't fall into this category. There are some who I'm afraid who won't feel at home being a spirit-filled congregation. Now, this might come as a shock to you, but it's true. I've been in ministry for more than 25 years, and I've come to know Christian friends, people, who because they are, they are unfamiliar with such an experience, and as a result of the absence of the, of the presence of the Holy Spirit in their worship, they begin to feel uncomfortable being this kind of a church. They rather remain being status quo. And perhaps this is due to the neglect of the teaching over such a topic or simply a matter of preference. And one such group is what I term as the Sunday Christians. And who are the Sunday Christians? These are the people who keep their religion only for the weekdays and they disengage their belief from practical living on any other days. On Saturday, as in our case, or Sunday, what do they do? They go to church. They worship God. They behave their best. They put on a religious show. But you know, after an hour or two when the service is over, their religion is put back on the shelf and they resume their normal, usual self. 
the weekday comes and they live the way they want. The Holy Spirit is there, prompting them to live a godly life. But to this group of people, it is merely a distraction to the way they want to live. So they reject. They reject Pentecost. They reject the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. The comfortable Christians are the second group. And they are no different. This group, well, they know all about salvation. They know that they're on the way to heaven. They even hear of the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit in, in various churches. But for this group of people, their interest is only, you know, while they're journeying on this Christian world, they just want to have the convenience and the fun. They just want to do their own thing. They don't want to be guided by the Holy Spirit. They don't want to be led by the power of the Holy Spirit. So anything that contradicts what they seek after, they will reject it. And certainly having been filled with the Spirit to incite them to live out this holy and radical life of Christ will make them uncomfortable. But you know, this group, as well as all of us, we need to be reminded that the moment we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the moment we become His disciples, our life is a complete turnaround. No more do we insist on our own agenda. No more are we the masters of our life, but we must be guided by the Holy Spirit. We don't do things the way we want. We don't do things because we want to do this. We do things because it is what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. So you see, the Sunday Christians as well as the comfortable Christians, these are the two groups of people whom I'm afraid they will always remain at the side of Easter and not move forward. And my prayer my prayer is that all of us here in all saints, we are not part of this group. So who are those who will be happy and progress to a spirit-filled environment? Again, let me briefly point out two groups of people and I will come to a conclusion. For a start, those who want to progress beyond Pentecost, those who want to receive the Holy Spirit, are those who desire to have a living relationship with God, are those who want to have this communion with Him on a daily basis. Because the Bible tells us that God is spirit. And it's only those who are filled with the Holy Spirit will be able to hear His voice. It is those who are filled with the Spirit that will ultimately know God personally and intimately. And, we are that, and if we are that close to God, He will reveal His truth to us. The second group <clears throat> who wants to progress beyond Pentecost are those who desire to live out godly lives, lives that are pleasing to God. Again, you'll find that it is only one when he's filled with the Holy Spirit and when that person is being guided by God, the Spirit will reveal areas in their lives where they have strayed, areas where need to be changed. And if we are filled with the Spirit, we will be readily and humbly realizing our faults. We will seek that repentance from our sinful way, and we want to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. 
Needless to say, it is those who choose to ignore this prompting who only end up in this sinful lifestyle. So stuck between Easter and Pentecost, does this describe you and I? Is it really possible to be between these two great events? The answer is yes. We can be Christians stuck between Easter and Pentecost. Is it possible that we can live past Pentecost, that we can experience this promised power of God in our midst right here, right now? Again, the answer is yes. Now, if this is true, then as you have heard what I just shared from the passage in John chapter 20, if this is true and we want to live past Pentecost, our part is to breathe in what God promised of us. But at the same time, we must also breathe out. We must exhale from our life all the things that are impure and unworthy. And this is why we come, as we come to the end of our sermon series on This Is Church, after we have established what it means to be a living church, why organization is so important, why we want to determine membership and cell play a vital part in the church, we want to next focus on the Holy Spirit. You see, the bottom line is simply this. We may know all that consists of a church, what it means for a church to be growing and living, but the truth is this. You can know all of these things, but without the essential source of power, we will still remain where we are. We will not be growing. We will not be living. We will not be the sort of a church that God wants us to be. And so it is so vital that over the next couple of months, we want to take the time to look afresh, to explore the many facets of the Holy Spirit. We want to consider how, as a healthy church, we can be equipped with this gift and power to live out the way God desires of us. And it's the hope that we will climax all of this in our church conference in June. So for now, if we do believe in the reality of the Holy Spirit, and we should, because if we believe the Bible is true, the Bible tells us the reality of the Holy Spirit. So if we believe that the Holy Spirit is real, we believe the power of the Holy Spirit can be fall upon us, then let's not get stuck between Easter and Pentecost. Let's instead desire to be filled with the Spirit and strive towards being a Spirit-filled church. Let us pray. Father, Your Word has spoken to us. You have desired Your church not to be a dead church, but to be a living church, a church that is filled with Your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, as we gather this evening to listen to what you have spoken to us, perhaps there are some of us here who may be resistant. We have our experience. We have our baggage. 
we question certain things but Lord the fact remains that your word tells us that your spirit is real your word tells us that you desire us to be filled with the spirit so I pray this evening and for the rest of the week next week onwards that as we learn afresh the truth from your Holy Spirit sometimes a topic which is so unpredictable a topic that is so controversial for many of us we pray that your spirit will be real that you challenge us you motivate us and that ultimately all saints will be your church a church that is living a church that is growing a church that is healthy a church that is filled with your spirit so father i just want to come and pray for each and every one of us here today may you prepare our hearts to receive what you have to speak to us not only those of us who are present here but also those of us at home so come holy spirit come and do your work in jesus name we pray